to One Man Brand Radio with Ray Sagern, the radio show for entrepreneurs and business owners, leaders, and dreamers. Learn more at newsradioklbj.com and onemanbrandradio.com. Now, here's Ray. All right, we're back. One Man Brand Radio here on News Radio KLBJ. It's the voice of the entrepreneur. We're here Saturday mornings, 6 to 7. Thanks for spending a little of your Saturday morning with us here. Got a great show lined up. Uh, Somebody I've been looking forward to having on the show for a long while. It's Tim League, founder of our beloved Alamo Drafthouse. Tim, thanks for being here on One Man Brand Radio. It's my pleasure. And it, it is beloved, man. People love the Alamo. They do. And you're celebrating 20 years in business this year. And obviously, you, you've got all sorts of other things going. You got this Armada, uh, right? It's almost like the Alamo, or or maybe the tent pole. You know, maybe the Alamo is the tent pole. And you got all these other things going on. But you know, uh, tell me where is the Alamo right now in 2017 in terms of how you've grown over these 20 years from that original location down on Colorado, and now it's 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 not even Austin's thing anymore. It's the world's thing. I'd like to say that there was a grand master plan back in 1997 when we kicked things off, but you know, honestly, putting myself in my former self's head of 1997, I, we were just going to run that one single screen theater and probably retire from it 30 years later. It was just like the idea of what we're doing now would have been very alien to me if I were to be able to talk to my old 1997 self. But now we started more aggressively expanding the theater. And really, a, a switch was turned for me, I'd say, about seven years ago, where I, was, I think I was really reluctant to expand. I was afraid we were going to screw up the brand mm-hmm. um, if, we, if we started to march too rapidly and didn't really have the appetite for it. But then I got into film distribution. We started a small film distribution company, and the little switch turned for me. It was like, well, what we're going to be doing now is trying to share movies we love with as many people as possible. And that means I can build a network of theaters and support a lot of these smaller independent films that I love. And so it just became a different game entirely. So you and I have been friends on Facebook a lot of years, and maybe to say hello at a fantastic fest or bump into you here or there, maybe in, a, in an airport last year, bumped <laughs> yeah. into you, right? Okay. But but this is the first time we've had like a real conversation. Mm-hmm. But on Facebook, there is a picture, and I don't know if I saw it. This is one of these weird Rain Man things I get where I, I can remember little frags. I don't remember if I saw this three months ago or three years ago, but it's a picture of you and your wife, Carrie, and I think you've got like a sledgehammer (laughs) over your shoulder, and you've got like this devilish Jack Nicholson grin on your face. Take me back to, do you know the picture I'm talking about? I know the picture you're talking about. When when I mention that picture, and we'll hunt it down and maybe put it in with the show notes here, uh, when I mention that, take me back to that, to that day or that era in the beginning. That was a picture that was taken in the spring like maybe February of 1997, and it was very, very early on in the construction of the theater. Uh, It was taken by my old college roommate. We only have like four photos of the early construction project. Thank God he came by with a good camera, took a few pictures. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, all of them are me shirtless, so that's the (laughs) record that I've got. Um, Yeah, so Carrie and I uh, were the construction crew. We were everything, so we built that theater every single day for six months with our own two hands. We had one guy that worked for us hourly. So really the three of us did everything. And it was a raw warehouse space. It was really the only thing that we could afford. It was our, I think our fifth choice of venue because Mm -hmm. we kept on getting turned down. Right. Because 
we didn't have enough money and we didn't know what we were doing. And I think the, the real estate brokers saw that. So that first space was a second floor warehouse parking garage that had no infrastructure. So that was us definitely mom and pop bootstrapping. One Man Brand Radio here on KLBJ. Our guest Tim League this morning from the Alamo Draft House. You know, we, we gather Saturday mornings to share stories about entrepreneurs from entrepreneurs, you know, but there's a larger audience for that. And, you know, in the United States, obviously, mom and pop is a thing. Mom and pop businesses. And even before you guys had kids, you know, here's a couple doing a business together. What's your advice for husband and wife teams out there that are going into business together? We have a couple rules that sort of formed organically. Um, one was we made sure it was really important to differentiate areas of responsibility. There were certain things that were Carrie's responsibilities and uh, her voice carried. Like if we had a conflict, then she won in her areas of responsibility. And I handled other things. We were obviously collaborating and, and brainstorming together on just about everything. But she ruled in her domain and I ruled in mine. The other is just in general, I mean, it's a really high-pressure situation, you know, working together side by side. We, I mean, we started the theater before the Alamo in Bakersfield, and during that time, uh, we actually lived at the theater. We lived in a squalid little room behind the screen because we, <laughs> we sold everything we had to raise money. Oh, that's and, a great uh, <laughs> story, man. That's awesome. And so we were literally working side by side 24 hours a day, every day, except when you know I had to go run to get a loaf of bread at the supermarket. We were side by side, and that can be a pressure cooker. And our rule of thumb generally is whoever cares the most genuinely gets to win, mm-hmm. right? So if you but get, there has to be. It feels like uh, what I'm hearing you say is that there has to be some mutual buy-in, and if there's not a structure and an agreement up front, is maybe where a lot of people don't maybe run afoul or get in trouble. Yeah, I I, th- I think so. I think you're just anticipating conflict resolution because there's obviously going to be conflict. We also found it pretty healthy to um, be able to, even though we're working side by side, to sort of separate from time to time. Like I would do my thing and be hold up doing it, and then we'd come back together for dinner. Somehow we've made it work over, you know, I don't know how many years it's been, 25 years of marriage. So, yeah. yeah. You studied engineering mm-hmm. at, at Rice in college, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. And tell me how, I mean, usually business like some, it's the film student that mm-hmm. ends up doing something like this. How'd you get interested in the theatrical uh, part of the movie business. I think back as to why I studied engineering, and I don't really have a good answer other than I was I was good at math. You know, you're good at math, you get put on this track, and you don't actually even think about what your career is. And mm-hmm. I didn't think about what it meant to be an engineer until I was sitting at a desk at Shell Oil on my first day of the job. I was like, what am I doing? I was trying to envision the, the retirement party for me, you know, 30, 40 <laughs> years down the road. It's like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. Um, so the good thing I think about having that engineering background is mm-hmm. really being an entrepreneur is nothing but just problem solving. And that's what you're trained to do as an engineer is to take a complex problem and break it down into little binary small problems and have a sense of project management where you can, you know, keep tabs on every aspect of a project. And it's like, well, that's pretty good training for being an entrepreneur. So I, I think developing those logical problem solving skills was the best possible background I could have had. I, I should have taken a couple business classes. Yeah, uh, That would have been really good, too. I hear it. I hear it. One Man Brand Radio with Tim Leake. So a few weeks back, I had Chris Himes, who's the president mm-hmm. of Indeed.com, and he has a background in the 
he owned a film company for a while, which uh, I'm sure brushed up against you. Yep. Um, so uh, when he was on, he said every entrepreneur is either usually the Mr. Spock or they're the Don Quixote, and the rare entrepreneur is the person who can pull off both. Are you the Mr. Spock of the? Or because it feels like you got some Don Quixote in you too. I yeah, I think the Don Quixote certainly drives me. I went to Rice uh, for my mechanical engineering degree, but they also encourage you to get dual degrees, to get two degrees. And so I got a degree in mechanical engineering, and I don't really talk about the other side much, but it's uh, art and art history. Mm-hmm. So I've always had an interest okay. um, in that the arts sense. and in film. And you know, the whole time I'm studying engineering, I really just want to go pursue the other side of things. So I think that was the drive to start the business, is I wanted to do something more attuned to what my true passions were. So mm-hmm. I, I guess I am a little bit of a little bit of both. And not great at either, but a mix of the two is good. <laughs> You're listening to One Man Brand Radio here on News Radio KLBJ. Our guest this morning is Tim Leagy, the CEO of Alamo Draft House, our beloved Austin institution that's well now it's the world's thing. We'll talk more about that when we pick up the show next here on News Radio KLBJ. You're listening to One Man Brand Radio with Ray Sagern on News Radio KLBJ. Now, here's Ray. All right, we're back here. One Man Brand Radio, the voice of the entrepreneur. And our guest this morning is Tim Leake from the Alamo Draft House. We were talking about the early days and in, in getting ready for the interview, I was going Sherman and Peabody back to when was the first time I was in the Alamo? The first one was actually watching a UT Oklahoma football game, and maybe we should come back to that just in terms of you know working through different concepts. That would have been like what ninety eight, ninety nine, because I was living in Oklahoma at the time. But my first true cinematic memory, because again I was living in Oklahoma, it was oh three. That was actually right after I moved back. But I remember it was during South by Southwest, and it was Cabin Fever. And the mm. thing that I remember about it, and the two films that I loved from that year were Cabin Fever and Bubba Hotep. And you had the Bubba Hotep, you had Joe Lansdale and Don Coscarelli were in the back of the room watching Eli do his big premiere. And I was struck by the sense of community, maybe for the first time that filmmakers had that I had seen in the music business and in doing radio and stuff. And I'm curious, uh, especially as we kind of shift the conversation now to all the other things that you've got going on around the Alamo the fabric that seems to tie them together. We were talking about Fantastic Fest or Birth Movies Death or whatever, and there's a lot of tentacles, right? Community seems to be the thing that, that kind of weaves them together. Agree? Yeah, for sure. I think the sense of community around Alamo, um, I didn't even notice it or I didn't willfully uh, try to strive towards it. It's thinking back to that first single-screen theater on 409 Colorado, we were just there every single day. We had a small staff. That staff was a, a community, a family. And I would introduce almost every single show. And so you just get to know your regulars. And um, a community starts to form about different threads of, of programming, whether it's Fantastic Fest or Weird Wednesday or Girly Night. So it was very organic in the beginning. But then certainly when we reach this phase of, okay, it's time to grow, we're going to make this change, we're going to open up Alamo theaters everywhere. At that point, we understood what was special about what we were building at the Alamo was that sense of community. And what can we do if we're starting to expand to ensure that that community exists? So that's baked into how we staff and how we operate our venues. Mm -hmm. And then the community in the actual film industry probably is a lot like the music industry. You, you think about people like 
Joe Lansdale, about Don Coscarelli and Eli Roth. It's a really small pool. And those guys are, you know, Eli's definitely influenced by things that Don Coscarelli did, Mm -hmm. and they help each other out wherever possible. So especially in genre film, everybody seems to know everybody, and the guys that have gotten their break are almost always really good about ushering in and and helping in the next generation. Guillermo del Toro is probably the best example of that. He, He comes to Fantastic Fest regularly, tries to meet as many filmmakers as possible, opens doors, provides favors and entrees for the people he thinks are really talented and coming up. This one-man brand radio. you got Tim League from the Alamo Draft House. We're kind of bouncing around a little bit here. you, you got a lot of stuff to talk about, and eventually we're going to get to the business lessons of sure. beekeeping. So I okay. want to just I plant that seed now so it doesn't surprise you when we get there about the business lessons of beekeeping. But Fantastic Fest was, I guess, the first real outgrowth. It was the first big enterprise that was running parallel to the to the core theater, right? Right. Talk to me about what that was like to sort of will Fantastic Fest into existence. I think like a lot of entrepreneurial milestones, it's it's tiny little sparks of either inspiration or just being pushed or nudged by people. Mm-hmm. And that's a combination of both. The, the spark was my wife and I, for our vacation, I think this sort of semi-coincided with a wedding anniversary. We went to Spain to go to the Sitges Film Festival. Mm-hmm. They were touting the largest collection of uh, spaghetti Western films ever assembled. So we're like, okay, we're going to go. And while there... I saw this amazing spectacle, which was a genre film festival. It's Mm -hmm. something I'd never seen before, and I was staggered by it. Mm -hmm. That was back in 2002. Harry Knowles was also on the jury that year, so I remember... Which is Ain't It Cool News. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember talking with him at breakfast about how amazing this was, and maybe someday we we can bring this to Austin. And then years later, three years later... Tim McCanleys, who uh, was a screenwriter for Iron Giant, uh, a director that lives here in Texas and Austin, he called a meeting. I didn't know what it was about. I guess apparently he had heard that I was infatuated with (laughs) Sitches, and he basically just double-dog dared me to do it. Guess Um, what, Tim? (laughs) He's like, now's the time. You're the guy. Uh And he offered me this deal. He said, if you do this and build this, then if you lose money this first year, I'll just write you a check, no questions asked. I'll, I'll make you whole, which I didn't ask him. He didn't write me a check. We were okay in that first year. Mm-hmm. But he was a guy that basically shoved me across the line and said, do it now. And I, I really appreciate it. It's One Man Brand Radio on News Radio KLBJ. We got Tim League in this morning talking about not just Alamo Draft House, but also Fantastic Fests there. And then you've also got – so Mondo is sort of the merchandising uh, – I don't want to say arm. I don't know if it's an arm, but it's it's a thing you did mm-hmm. that you held. And then I love birth movies and death. I, I love that. I love the films that you've distributed through what's been Draft House Films, but it's got a new name and, and a new chapter in front of you, right? Why don't you talk Correct. about that a little bit? Well, all these things, I think I, I think you're right in saying that the Alamo Draft House is the tent pole in the center of them, and all these things kind of swirl around it and are marching towards the same direction. It's like championing awesome movies and sharing great movies with as many people as possible. So on the distribution side, we started Drafthouse Films about five or six years ago, and it was self-financed. It's a very tricky business, a very expensive business. It's high-stakes poker, even Mm -hmm. when you're dealing at the, the small independent film level. So after doing it for X number of years and self-financing it, I decided I wanted to go seek some outside money. So over the past year, we raised investors, uh, some investment capital, 
and basically merged Draft House Films with uh, another distribution company, Radius, run by a friend of mine, mm -hmm. sometimes competitor of mine. And um, we actually bring our families to the same film festivals. And a year and a half ago, since we are competitors, we don't talk about our business. But at the end of it, after maybe a couple glasses of wine, we confided that we're raising money. But we were both doing the same thing. So we made a handshake deal to join forces and make an even better distribution company. Okay, so we want to keep this on the entrepreneurial tip, right? Yeah. It's a great story, by the way. So talk to me about handshake deals, especially doing handshake deals with friends. And mm -hmm. then how, how, how does that grow? Does it stay a handshake deal? At some point, it never stays a handshake deal. <laughs> 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 handshake deal is only good for idea, you know, genesis. <laughs> All right. Lawyer it up. <laughs> at, at some point, you got to lawyer up. I love it. All right. Well, I mean, it's important, right? Because that's where people get into trouble. I, I think you should approach every deal initially it's like sky's the limit we can do anything let's let's get this done and make a pledge to do it but that handshake signifies i'm going to then deconstruct the deal and say what are the ways in which this is going to fail and we're going to be enemies a year a year later and how do we still preserve the company and have a path forward so that's Putting into contract form basically is anticipating worst case scenario. That's great advice for any entrepreneur out there, especially if you've got to bring business partners on. What's the the tail of the tape now in terms of? Well, I know you've got the new location at Mueller that mm -hmm. that's about to open up, and I want to talk about that because it's got kind of an interesting family community vibe. So let's come back to that in a second. But what's the tail of the tape, and how many of these do you have that you own that you own? And then how many of them are franchise? So there's there's 25 theaters out there right now. About half of them are company-owned. About half of them are franchise. Mm -hmm. uh, we, have, we have you know six or seven franchisees, and they are all kind of working on their own development path. Like, we have a great franchisee in Dallas, really gets the brand, does a tremendous job up there. And so he's got a path over the next five years to open up you know, five or six more theaters. For me, I've got my own path. I'm opening up in Los Angeles is going to be the next one. I've got some other deals that are pending. Los Angeles will be, it's not going to be a franchise, but the mothership Correct. will operate. Yeah, the mothership opens. Um, I try to choose strategic markets that are going to be good for the overall national level brand. So Brooklyn, San Francisco, LA, and I'm looking at some, you know, smaller emerging cities that that remind me of, of Austin from 20 years ago. You made a conscious choice to have franchise be part of the model. And my company works with businesses across the U.S. and Canada, fair amount of them are franchises. It's a complicated model. Yeah. It's a lot of work, you know. I mean, it's like writing the manuals, open the door, and enter the building safely and cut the lights on, you know, the way you, you just – tedious writing sometimes to get the systems across. But when you talk about the brand, I know how much of your DNA is just woven into the brand. Talk to me about the pitfalls or the, the struggle or the – opportunity to to make that scalable past the ones that you operate day to day that that's the hardest part about franchising is keeping the brand integrity and the systems right when somebody else is in charge of it it is a huge challenge and it is a difficult way to go one of the benefits of franchising is you don't have to sell your own brand in order to expand Right, so the the main holding company for Alamo Draft House is still entirely ours, right? But 
the compromise and the trade-off is this relation, this franchisee-franchisor relationship. And we're trying to approach it differently. I mean, when you think of franchising, you're generally thinking of McDonald's or IHOP or Subway, things like that, which you can just sort of you spend $300,000 and you you know get the license and everything comes in a box and you put up the stickers and you, mm-hmm. you, you build it out to their specs and you run it. It should be exactly the same as the one that's three miles down the road. That's the nature of it. So for us... We have a very small pool of people that are working with us as franchise partners, and we are very selective about who we work with. And part of the deal is you have to follow our methodology when it comes to having the localized creative control. So we're not building a cookie cutter franchise. We're saying, here's the vision for the brand. Here is the systemization of the brand, which is the food and beverage and the systems and the software. That is like a regular franchise. But then after that, we're letting them do things differently in each market in terms of how they engage with their community. This is One Man Brand Radio. Let's take a quick break and do the news like we do at the bottom of the hour, and then we'll come back. Tim Leake from the Alamo Draft House is with us for the whole hour this morning here, and we'll pick it up after the break with that. Let's talk about the Alamo brand and the choices that you've made there. We'll do it next when One Man Brand Radio continues here on KLBJ. That's why God made the movie. You're listening to One Man Brand Radio with Ray Sagern on News Radio KLBJ. Now, here's Ray. Yes, indeed. We're back. One Man Brand Radio here on KLBJ. The voice of the entrepreneur and our guest this morning, entrepreneur Tim Lee. Hey, let's talk about the brand. One of the things that I say, and it's not even me, it's my business partner, Rach Williams, who, who first said this, good brands are defined by what they're willing to stand against, right? And in an era where a lot of theaters are saying, sure, come text in our theaters, right? Easier to maybe to swim with the current on that deal. You've made it a sticking point that the Alamo is very much against that. But the truth is you've been against any disruption in the theater for many, many years. Excuse me. This better be important. Yeah, we got a situation here. Okay, love that, right? Right. What about you? What's your favorite one? This was a film clip that was taken from the movie Wipeout. It was a, a Henry Silva film, Italian crime film. Mm-hmm. And so we played the movie Wipeout during QT Fest. And we're, we're watching this movie, and all of a sudden this really stone-faced assassin gets really mad at these gangsters. And these gangsters happen to be like talking and making jokes while I think they're watching a porno movie in a theater. Mm-hmm. So in the projection room, he assembles a missile launcher, and he opens up the port window, and he fires a missile launcher at these gangsters that are in the middle <laughs> of this theater. And we're watching this in our own theater for the first time, and the crowd mm-hmm. goes bananas. And so within a week... 
we had tracked down a copy of it, cut it together, and nice. then put it up on screen. But part of your thing, especially with uh, Fantastic Fest, and you have so many filmmakers and actors in the theater now doing these events that you curate, it's a thing now where if somebody's coming through, you're, you're, you're working with them, I'm guessing, to, hey, you got a neat spin on this? Yeah, we always do. That, that question's always coming. Uh, sometimes we have to cheat it and introduce it into the q and I, re- I remember Chuck Norris was uh, oh, yeah, in the auditorium, and it's like, it's like, so Chuck, and he had no idea what was going on. It's like, if somebody's talking in the theater, and then he describes how he's going to, you know, dismember, oh, yeah. just throttle this guy. I think. That's a good. But let's talk, let's talk about it from a brand building standpoint. I mean, you made a conscious choice that mm-hmm. that that intrusion into the theater wasn't going to be accepted there. It's certainly intensified, and there was. I remember there's this whole viral thing a few years back where the, there was this girl who had gone on and was like just really self-involved, selfie girl almost before it was even a thing, really, talking about uh, she couldn't believe that that had happened. Talk to me about the choice to make that a line in the sand for the Alamo. There's a lot of things about what we did to position ourselves before we even opened about what we were going to do. Um, one thing was from day one, we weren't going to show advertisements before movies. And actually, the the no-talking wasn't a initial brand pillar, but it came into play about a month into operation. And we were showing a midnight show of Blue Velvet, and we had done a ridiculously cheap uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon special, as you do for Blue Velvet. And people just got really rowdy. So I got I went into the theater, and people are screaming and telling jokes and screaming at the screen and thinking they're having a great time, but it just killed something inside me. It's like, this is not our path. If this is what we built, then I don't want this. And so that same week, I bought a copy of Final Cut Pro 1.0, learned how to use it, <laughs> okay. and cut my first Don't Talk PSA, yeah. developed that policy. It's like one warning or we'll kick you out, no refund. It wasn't initial, but it was month one and a half. Okay. And ever since then, I've understood, we, you know, we serve beer, we serve alcohol, we have, it can be misconstrued that we're going to be this party atmosphere, but that is not what I built, not what I intended to build. Talk to me about brand pillars. You put it out there. Are you willing to share some of those with us? Is it something that's public or is it a trade secret or... It's it's pretty simple. Mission statement is the thing that we that's, it's most alive, I think, in the venue. It's ensure every guest has an awesome experience and is excited to come back. And it's really just a, a rewording of the ultimate question right. and uh, speaks to our adherence to NPS as a measure. Mm-hmm. And for us, working on Net Promoter Score and looking at that every single day, all of our managers are bonused mm-hmm. off of Net Promoter Score. We have a benchmark of world-class, mm-hmm. so every theater must be above 70 NPS. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, there's an action plan to get them there very quickly. So I only became aware that NPS, that net promoter score, is a thing. Like in the last month and a half, it, it's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's our it's our one thing to quote Gary Keller. So it is the most important factor in our business. So whenever I hear like Kim Kardashian talk about her brand, I kind of throw up in my mouth a little bit. Mm-hmm. So and, and it's one of the things I attempt to be conscious of when I'm talking to entrepreneurs is not to get there where we're like. I don't know, dehumanizing or making this steely saccharine sort of thing out of your brand. But one of the things that I think is interesting about the Alamo brand is it's not a pure art house. There, mm-hmm. there are components of art house, but you're playing first-run movies, but not all of them. Talk about those choices. Yeah, I don't really have any distinction in terms of uh, the movies that I love. So I'm happy to have a theater that plays I'm Not Your Negro side-by-side with Tony Erdman, side-by-side with Logan, side-by-side with Star Wars. Like, I love all these movies. Mm -hmm. And I think if you get into the pure art house arena, I I love 
we came from an art house background. Our first theater in Bakersfield was an art house, and those are where my sensibilities are. But I, I come to the whole world of movies to say, let's celebrate and enjoy all the movies we love. So we try not to play movies like Collateral Beauty was an interesting one. Came out over the Christmas break. We looked at it. We watched it. We said, we don't like this movie. So we're not going to play it. It gets us in a little bit of trouble with the studio sometimes, but we, we try to curate so if you come to the Alamo, most of the time, you know, everything that we put on screen, we stand behind. We, we make some compromises time to time. A lot of interesting programming. You mentioned QT Fest earlier, and, and the thing that I'm remembering, uh, you did a 70 millimeter thing, I think, with Hateful Eight mm-hmm. uh, a year, whenever it came out. Before I do that, I got to know, this is the thing I really want to know. 1995 Pulp Fiction comes out, Quentin Tarantino movie. The famous scene with Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta where they're talking about sitting in a movie theater in Europe and you can drink beer in a glass. Now that's about two years before you open the album. I'm curious, and I know you've become good friends with Quentin, you've done a lot of stuff with him. Did that movie and that scene in particular in any way influence your idea to start the Alamo? No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, um, It'd be a lot cooler so we, if you did. I know, I know. Um <laughs> So I remember watching that movie. It was in a break between the Bakersfield Theater and starting up for the Alamo. And when we started the Bakersfield Theater in 1994, we tried to get a liquor license there and failed. Like they just wouldn't give it to us. And that, that's actually for a, an interesting entrepreneur story is, you know, I was 23, 24 years old. I was working construction on the site. I just rolled over to the Alcoholic Beverage Commission office and said, hey, can I have a liquor license? And I now know that what happened that day was just nothing short of age discrimination. Like, I wasn't going to get that license because I was just some punk-ass kid. Mm -hmm. And so when we moved to Austin, I still looked 12, uh, even though I was much wiser at the age of 25. But we hired... Uh, a middle-aged white man in a suit and we (laughs) (laughs) we, he was a specialist in getting liquor licenses and said here's here's your thousand dollars let me know when my liquor license is there because i'm not i am not going to be the face of this transaction oh that's great it's kind of knowing that discrimination of any sort whether it's sex race or age that is so alive and well and unfortunately getting worse by the day Uh, but i won't get into that but just you know treat it as a problem solving exercise and how do you achieve victory not necessarily cure discrimination but just get what you want All right, we got Tim League on One Man Brain Radio. Got to take a quick break. We'll be back to wrap things up. And be careful, Tim. We might we might get into that, uh, all that and more uh, when we return. Wrap things up with Tim League of the Alamo Draft House. New location opening up at Mueller. It's going to have a family community spin. We'll pick up the conversation there when One Man Brand Radio continues here on News Radio KLBJ. You're listening to One Man Brand Radio with Ray Sagern on News Radio KLBJ. Now here's Ray. Wrapping things up with Tim League from the Alamo Draft House here on One Man Brand Radio, voice of the entrepreneur. Every new location that you open, I imagine, is still a little bit special, but it seems like this location at Mueller with its family community spin is something that is kind of new for the Alamo family. Yeah, it's something that's become 
more of a focus for me I, because now I have kids, right? And, right. and it's, it, things shift for me in my mind. I, I think, if the, I may, though, yeah. uh, you know, baby day at the locations has been a thing for years yes, and years yes, and yes. years. And the free in in the summer, you're doing things. So I don't want to say that you're just now getting into family stuff by a stretch, but there is a specific spin on this this new location, right? Well, it's also about where we are. We're, we're immediately adjacent to the Thinkery. Adele Children's Hospital is just down the road. Yes. Ronald McDonald House is there. There's like all these great community partners. And whenever we go into any location, we want to be a part of the neighborhood and part of the community. And it just felt like an interesting idea to say, okay, we're going we're gonna to really dive in and create this space and do things that are a little bit different than we have in the past in terms of making this a destination for kids and families. Got a lot to cover in this last segment with Tim Leake from the Alamo Draft House. So I bumped into you and your wife. We were on the same flight to L.A. I was actually headed to Sacramento every year. I emcee an Oscar watch party up there for uh, the UC Davis Children's Hospital, since you brought that up. And I remember, got off the plane, and I just, I, I geeked you a little bit and asked to take a picture with you. And it was actually, so for starters, let me ask you, now that you're more of a face, I mean, and not just in Austin, but in the movie business, and you're going to Oscar weekend and the Independent Spirit Awards and all that stuff, how much has your life changed now that you're operating at that national and international level, instead of just being you and Carrie in Austin with a pretty cool movie theater? It really hasn't changed that that much for me. I, mean, I do a little bit more traveling. Uh, but again, I have kids now too, so when I travel, I bring the whole family along if I'm gone for more than three or four days. Um, but yeah, I haven't attained any level of actual celebrity. <laughs> things, things are more or less the same for me. I don't know, man. People, people <laughs> love the Alamo, and they associate you with that. You are the face of the Alamo. Mm-hmm. You know, 25 locations, a ton of franchisees, and hundreds, maybe, you know, thousands through the years of employees behind the brand. But you're the face of the brand, right? I definitely am the face of the brand. One of the things that we divided early on was that my wife was going to run the back of house operations and do oversee the staff. I ran the creative, and part of running the creative is to be that face of the brand. She wanted n- no part of it, honestly. So from day one, we were a partnership, but I became the forward-facing one. I would do all the press, all the interviews, all mm-hmm. the time on stage and times with uh, filmmakers. And a lot of what we built out of the brand are my values and those kind of pour into the mm-hmm. the theater it's interesting that you know if things like house bill 2 in north carolina comes up mm-hmm. uh, we can take a stand on that as a brand um so and, let's talk about that for a second mm-hmm. so the thing that i geeked you about in lax that day was to say thank you for putting yourself out there for bernie yeah okay uh and as i thought about how to tackle that on this show i, I was scratching my head was tim Going on the record for Bernie and then kind of behind the scenes using his resources, doing outbound calling and stuff like that from your theaters, or was the Alamo on record as being pro-Bernie? And where's the line of demarcation on that deal? It's a little gray. I was personally supporting Bernie Sanders, and the venue itself remains relatively neutral. Most of our efforts at the venue were were centered around voter registration and aligning with League of Women Voters, and that's a nonpartisan effort. And I don't think it's necessarily appropriate for the brand to say we're a 
Bernie Sanders company, but I can't help myself but to personally say this is this is who I'm supporting. This is why I'm I'm doing it. So with a show like One Man Brand, and that's the universe I want to tap into, is, is the person who's willing to put their name on the sign or on the side of the truck, or in your case, it's not actually your last name or your name on the that is the brand. But as soon as it is all about the fabric of your DNA and what you stand for and your values, like you said, it, it gets harder and harder to separate those sometimes, right? Absolutely. And I think there can be a public confusion about it. Especially in a time we're in now, it seems like the election and the new administration has polarized everybody. I'm not going to ask you to put your dog in that fight, but it's just an interesting time we live in. Well, I I mean, I will talk about where where we are right now and where my head is, because I want to make the theater an inclusive place for everybody. And I'm not of the camp right now. Obviously, I was a Bernie supporter, so it shows where, where my political leanings are. But I'm not somebody that's going to say that half of the United States is stupid, right? Like, I think that what's happening now, I actually don't like what's happening now because it's counterproductive as preaching to the choir. It's like, I, I think there needs to be an understanding that half of the United States was disgruntled about the system. And can't we try to find some sort of bipartisan understanding of what's going on in those people's minds instead of calling names. So it's a complicated issue, obviously. (laughs) My best friend Corey Mitchell was the guy who teamed up with Philip Anselmo to do the House Core Horror Film Festival. Mm -hmm. And the sad tragedy, my best friend is best man in his wedding. He he died of a heart attack walking out of the the second year of the festival in the parking lot there at the Emo's parking lot. How do you balance? Because you can work, entrepreneurs, we can work ourselves to death, literally. Mm-hmm. And uh, how, how do you find balance in that? Having kids helped me. I mean, I'm not, I haven't been great at balance, honestly, but when I had kids, I, I wanted to make sure that I did make sure that there was time to be with the family. And that's actually been healthy for me. I think following some rigor in terms of what your org chart is, hiring incredible people and not having too many direct reports and being a manager instead of a, a doer. Mm-hmm. So those are all things you grow because unfortunately starting out as an entrepreneur, you do have to do everything because you don't have the money, you know, it, at least for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there's well-funded entrepreneurs, but there's got to be a transition in there towards success where you stop doing everything. And if you're working yourself to the grave, then you're actually not being a very good business leader. It's One Man Brand Radio here with Tim Leake from the Alamo Draft House and also what was Draft House Films and is now Neon and Fantastic Fest and Birth Movies Death. And we're running out of time, Tim, before we run out of topics. <laughs> I want to you know, ask you, uh, part of being an entrepreneur is you skin your knee sometimes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you make a misstep or whatever. One thing that's popping in, I didn't think it was that bad. I thought it was pretty awesome, actually, but it was a hog hunt from helicopters <laughs> on one of your Fantastic Fests. Yes. And, and, of course, got a little controversy I'm not asking you to go in depth about that necessarily, unless there's a, an interesting lesson from your point of view. But occasion, you know, the entirety of what you do is is met with such universal positive acclaim so much of the time. But y- you have your shortcomings, just like everybody does. You make mistakes, like mm-hmm. everybody does. And as entrepreneurs, it's important that we learn from those mistakes. I'm curious, kind of, what your take is on that. Sure. I mean, well, the important thing is not to shy away from the conversation. So I'll go to the hog hunt. It was a, it was something we did for VIPs at Fantastic Fest. We kind of like to embrace our stereotypical Texan-ness. Sure. Ever, always take people out for barbecue, take them out to shoot guns. Um, it's, you know, we're in Texas. Right. So that was sort of the most extreme version of shooting guns, which was, 
using semi to full auto weapons out of helicopters to 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 shoot hogs right it's what we do in texas yes and you know it just so happens that we have a feral hog infestation problem that causes millions of dollars in crop damage and it's it's why it's legal to do that because mm-hmm. they're a pest. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're preserving all these wonderful vegetables for the vegetarians. So mm-hmm. anyway, but you know, I'm being flippant about it right now. Clearly, some people were upset that we were associating that with the festival, and so I stated my case as to why we did it and what it was all about and my position on the issue. It didn't calm the opposition, and so we did two things. One is we said, okay, I I am listening. I hear you. We have a difference of opinion, but out of respect for this audience, we're going to cancel that event. It's not integral to the event. It's just a silly thing we did. But then we incorporated it into the festival itself. We have this formal debate uh, called the Fantastic Debates, yes. where we take a controversial issue and we take uh, one side and versus the other. And I debated about... But wait, you're leaving an important part out. You, yeah. you, you, it's a debate, okay? <laughs> you each take a side, but but you're leaving out some key Oh, there's details. one other thing. The fantastic debate starts with a formal high school-style debate, but then the last two rounds of the debate, the debate takes place inside a boxing ring, is two rounds of boxing. <laughs> yeah. um, so so I, there's that. I took on the debate on the pro side of this to say it is not unethical to hunt feral hogs from helicopters and debated and and (laughs) debated somebody who uh, took the the other side of the position unfortunately that guy was also a um actual formal second place world karate champion and he punched me really hard in the face a couple times (laughs) tim league from the alamo draft house get you out of here on this i know from us being friends on facebook uh beekeeping is or was a big thing for you what are the business lessons that you've learned from beekeeping so what does it take to be a successful beekeeper what is i mean what's the end result what are Mm -hmm. you doing it for and then what goes in what are the granular components that require you to get there maybe that that can free it up a little so it's fantastic hobby fantastic hobby uh i was interested it was it was a present from my wife for christmas i had been talking about it in the past couple years and she bought me a hive and then so i needed to figure out how to do it so i actually took to social media and um said, hey, does anybody have any advice? And that big engineering mind of yours. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. And so I found a mentor who guided me through the process There's and then started reading books and uh, became competent enough in my base understanding of it to say, I'm going to go ahead and embark upon this and buy some bees, which you have to do to start it off. So it's it's learning and getting educated. But then you're tending to this hive. You're tending to thousands of bees. And so... There is this idea that you're the CEO of this hive. You're Mm kind of nurturing this hive. And so my job was once a week to come in, put on the suit, and inspect the hive. And what you're doing is basically making sure that everybody's doing their job. The queen's still alive. The hive looks healthy. There's no threats to the hive. I had a small hive beetle infestation, and so I had to learn about how to tackle be like this. A, it's a hostile takeover. Yeah, it was a hostile takeover. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the the hive was uh, in jeopardy, and I had to go buy some beetle blasters okay. uh, and and win the fight and keep them, you know, marching towards, um, the, you know, the end product I guess is honey. But I just took joy and. Maybe uh, that's the role of it. Maybe you know? that's the thing. Maybe that's the lesson is get a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. 
Hey, Tim, thanks for being with us this morning here on One Man Brand Radio. We've got uh, the new location for Alamo Draft House is opening up very, very soon at Mueller. You call it Mueller? Miller? I call it Miller. Okay. But it seems like so many people call it Mueller that I'm begrudgingly calling it Mueller. Yeah, so that's exactly where I am. So, well, we could go on and on about that. <laughs> I'm going to get you out of here because I know you, and, and, uh, we're, we're running out of time. Tim Lee, Alamo Draft House, thanks for being here on One Man thanks Brand Thanks for Radio. having me.